We uh, are going to dismiss our kids downstairs. Molly's waving at you in the back. and You can find her back there. Head on down. While uh, the kids are heading downstairs, I'll share with you a brief announcement. Next week, um, we have a special guest uh, speaker, preacher. Um, a couple months ago, a few months ago, I was blessed to be able to go to Israel. Um, I went with a group called Kufi, uh, C-U-F-I, Kufi, and uh, we got to experience the biblical sites. We got to see behind the scenes some military and, and security uh, things and uh, political things, and it was pretty cool. So um, the representative of Kufi for our region is going to come next week, and he's going to share with us a little bit. Uh, bring the message and share a little bit about what Kufi is, what they do, how we could potentially uh, individually be a part of that if you're interested. So uh, that'll be next week. Um, <clears throat> last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit and um, kind of setting the stage for today, for this message, really. Uh, one of the things that we understand as believers is that the Holy Spirit is very practical, okay, and in your life, your ability to be a Christian, okay, well, in order to become a Christian, you have to have the deposit of the Holy Spirit, amen? That's, that's where new life comes from, is that uh, you've put your faith in Jesus, you've accepted his sacrifice on the cross, you've accepted what he did for you, um, and then when you do that, you trust Jesus, you ask him into your life, what you're doing is you're asking for the Holy Spirit to come in and, and change and transform you. And then from that point forward, the rest of your Christian life is the practical outworking of how he leads, guides, directs, changes, grows, matures your, your life, your mind, your heart, your, your activity, um, your relationships, what you believe, everything. Okay, um, the Christian life is, in a sense, uh, all about how we relate to the Holy Spirit, and yet um, we don't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, and there's a reason for that. We'll we'll get into that as we move forward. But what we're going to do is we're going to basically talk about the five practical uh, workings or ministries of the Holy Spirit as they're outlined in Scripture. And what I'm hoping is that as we've you know, spent these last few weeks talking about this, um, you will have a better sense of the Holy Spirit's work in your life, that we'll have a better um, ability to talk about the Holy Spirit in our conversations, um, and that we will have a better uh, relationship with the Holy Spirit. Um, I, it's concerning a little bit that uh, a lot of Christians don't seem to even really realize that uh, they have the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't know why that is. I don't know if that's not been communicated very clearly or if it's a sense of feeling or if it's just something that we've missed biblically. Um, but the reality is, if you are in Christ, then you have the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay? He is the most present, practical, manifest personality of God in your life. So he deserves for us to at least understand who he is. Amen? So let's stand and read God's word together. We're going to um, 
begin here in John 16, starting in verse 7. John 16, starting in verse 7. Jesus, um, in his ministry, um, is beginning to tell his disciples what is to come. Okay, he's, He hasn't gone to the cross yet, but he's telling them why he's going to the cross, what's going to happen. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And Father, we thank you for your, your word that your Holy Spirit um, helps us to understand and apply. And Lord, that, that is uh, what we ask for today. Lord, would you please... Um, illuminate your word. Would you uh, help it to jump off the page into our hearts? Would you uh, take uh, that truth, Lord, and sear it onto our minds? Would you use it to transform each and every person here today, Lord, as you said you would and uh, that you promised that you could, that we could be transformed by the renewing of our minds, Lord, that your word does that through the power of of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray that uh, we would just have open, receptive, ready uh, hearts and minds for what you want to do and say. And you will do the transforming work. Uh, but you also invite us to participate in that, to actively be involved in, in that work by agreement, by um, obedience, by submission, by just uh, saying yes to you. And so, Father, we pray that whatever doubts are, are in our minds, whatever sins are, are prohibiting us from hearing you, whatever pride there is in, in blinding, Lord, I pray that you would remove each and every one of those things, any wall, any barrier, anything that's, that's preventing uh, a complete and total um, understanding or reception to you, Lord. Would you take that away? Would you put it aside for this moment? And, uh, Lord, would you just come and minister to our hearts, reveal your truth, and do the work that only you can do. Uh, whether that's a first-time thing for somebody who needs to know Jesus for salvation, or we've been in this for a long time and we need a refreshing of our spirit through your Holy Spirit. Lord, whatever it means, whatever it, it takes, we, we pray for you to do that. And we will just give you the glory. And we thank you that we can in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So, as Jesus is getting ready for the cross, okay, he's telling his disciples, and we've been through this last few weeks, he's getting ready for, uh, for them, he's trying to get them ready for the next step, which is that salvation is going to be bought and paid for on the cross. He's going to give his blood the only sacrifice that is necessary, and the only sacrifice that is possible, is that a perfect sacrifice but the thing is that as he does that, he says that this isn't really 
enough. It's enough for salvation, but it's not enough for me just to do this and then leave you as, as orphans is what he says. I'm going to leave you, but then I'm going to send somebody else to be the paraclete. Paraclete means somebody who comes alongside of you. And so it's one thing to express faith that I believe in Jesus. It's another thing for that faith to then result in a transformation. Okay, and what we've talked about over the last several months um, is this issue of being um, basically converted to a Christian perspective in your mind versus being transformed by a regeneration of your spirit through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what Jesus came to do. He didn't just come to uh, present some, some truths for you to say, yeah, I agree with that. He actually came to give you a different life, a different uh, reality. Okay, your heart should be transformed. He says, that's going to happen when I leave and then I send the Holy Spirit. That happened on Pentecost. And what it is, first of all, he says, it's the spirit of conviction. The spirit of conviction means that he finds fault with certain things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's kind of an interesting statement. I'm going to unpack all of that to the best of my ability um, as briefly as I can, okay? But here's what happens. On the day of Pentecost, remember what Peter's message was? Basically, okay, uh, it's not a, you know, God loves you and you're made in his image and you just need to love and accept him and everything will go great with you. He doesn't really say that. That's how generally we present the gospel to people because we're trying to really soft sell people. We want them to just feel good about themselves and about the gospel and about God and, and really kind of slide into Christianity with this feeling of, you know what, everything's all good, God's good, I'm good, and if I could just kind of add this nice spiritual element to my life, maybe my life would be even just a little bit better, right? And, there, and there's, I was going to say there's nothing wrong with that, although there, there can be something wrong with that because the Holy Spirit's job, first of all, is to convict people of sin, to give you the perspective and the understanding that I'm separated from God because of, of who I am. My actions, my mind, my mouth, all these things separate me from God. And so Peter's message, remember what it was, it was you had a part in killing the author of life. He came to bring life and salvation and healing and you killed him. And, and the people, it says they were cut to the heart. They said, what should we do? And what was happening was that because the Holy Spirit was now at Pentecost on the earth, moving in people's hearts, 3,000 people in one moment okay, got saved because they realized that they were sinful and separated from God. And they said, what, what can we do about this? We, we need to have a right relationship with God. And so the first thing that the Holy Spirit does is he, he makes us aware that we're lost. And so all we have, I mean, the thing that we as Christians have to do, and we're going to talk about this every step of the way here, but the thing that we have to do is we have to live a life that reveals to the world that what it does is wrong by living differently, by adhering to a relationship with God that changes how we live, how we talk, if we're not different, then the world never gets a clue that what it's doing is wrong. So what happens was, in your life, okay, what, what occurred was at some point, if you're a saved person, 
you realized that you were separated from God. That realization through the power of the Holy Spirit brought you to a place of faith. And you said, I need Jesus. I accept Jesus. I want him in my life. And when you did that, the Holy Spirit came into your life. And then that process of convicting sin didn't stop, right? It actually continued and increased. You would have thought that you just felt good and everything would be fine and, and okay, I'm good with God now. And, but the reality is that you have this moment of, of peace and joy that I am saved, but then you have the ongoing conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you're a Christian, you know this because you experience it on a daily or at least weekly basis. Is that, man, when I mess up, I feel like not only am I far from God, but you ever feel this way? Like, I'm lost. And not just that I feel lost, but I, I feel almost scared and terrified that, that God doesn't accept me at this moment. You ever feel that way? Just me? <laughs> okay, okay, I'll just, I'll say, from my perspective, I've had this happen to me time and time again where I, I feel like, man, I've messed up so bad. I feel so distant from God. And what that is, it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's a good thing, but it draws me back to repentance, to seek forgiveness, and to continue on in that faith, okay, the trust that God certainly will forgive. He will cleanse all my unrighteousness, that he will purify me, that he will redeem me again. Now, I didn't lose my salvation. Let me be clear about that. I'm not saying that you do lose your salvation, in case that seemed like what I was saying. That's not what I'm saying. You feel like you have. And that's because the Holy Spirit is prodding you to get back into a right relationship with him. That's his goal. Is his goal is to make sure that you're almost insanely aware of hurting God's heart by the things that you do, say, think. Okay, the people that you interact with and how you interact with them and the, the kinds of activities that you allow yourself to get included in, all those things the Holy Spirit is, is revealing through his word and through the, the presence of his... Because the Holy Spirit hates sin. He wants you to hate sin too and to feel it. So when you feel that, you combine what you know with an emotion and it should remind you later not to do that thing again because you remember how you felt when you did that. And that's growth. As you continue in that process, you continue to grow into more and more maturity where your, those sins that used to entangle you so easily become further and further apart. doesn't mean that you um, completely get over something that you struggle with. Sometimes you keep struggling with it, but hopefully over time they get further and further apart, less and less intense, and eventually, and I can testify to this, and I know many of you can too, you do conquer certain sinful habits in your life. Like you, you don't even struggle with it anymore. You don't want it in your life anymore. It's not even a temptation anymore. Amen? Anybody had that happen? Now here's the other side of the Holy Spirit being the um, convictor of sin. He is present in the world even among non-Christians, non-believers, people of other religions. And what's happening is that there are two ways that the spirit of conviction falls upon 
a sinful world and how they respond to a sense of guilt. Okay, there's two ways. There may be a dozen ways, but there's two basic ways that I've seen and experienced. And the Bible talks about it this way. There's a repentance that leads to salvation, and then there's a uh, repentance that basically it's a guilt that leads to despair. Okay, there's a godly repentance, and then there's an ungodly repentance, basically. And what it is is the world feels guilty, and it either gets depressed or angry. You ever seen this happen? People feel like there's something wrong because there is something wrong. We're sinful, separated from God, we re and people reject Jesus as their answer, and so what do they do? This is what happened with Judas. This is, this is Judas's story. He rejected Jesus, even though he followed Jesus for three years. He didn't accept his, his life, his ministry, his sacrifice. And so when he betrayed him, and then he was in despair because he felt guilty, he had nowhere to turn with that. And so what did he end up doing? His despair led to him committing suicide because he couldn't take that guilt anywhere. There was nowhere for him to take it. And so instead of getting angry, he, he got depressed and he killed himself. The other side of that for a lot of people, and this is what we see in our culture primarily today, the world is guilty, our culture and our country is guilty, guilty of all kinds of bad behaviors, wrong thinking, um, injustice, etc. And what happens is that when that guilt becomes overwhelming, they look for somebody to blame. And here's what we're seeing, and we're going to see this more and more and more. I'm just telling you, this is where persecution comes from. When the world feels guilty, the aroma of Christ is the Holy Spirit in you and me as believers. You don't have to say anything. You just live a, a, a life that pleases God, and you're going to be a stench to this culture. And the culture's not going to like it, and the culture's going to get angry, and they're going to look for you as the scapegoat. If you Christians weren't you know, beating your Bibles and saying that this is right and this is wrong and this is how you follow God and this is what salvation is and making it so exclusive about Jesus and then we wouldn't feel guilty. And so the culture is going to look to silence the church more and more and more. You see this all over the world, okay? This is where persecution comes from everywhere, that the culture seeks to silence Christians to scare believers, we're, we're going to do a, uh, a study on the book uh, Uncanceled by Phil Robertson. Uh, the men are, anyway, in a couple weeks. And the, the premise of this cancel culture is you, you scare people into silence when they don't follow your political correct agenda. Okay? This is becoming a phenomenon in our culture right now, and it is directed primarily at who? Who's being removed from um, the public life more and more and more? It's Christians. Any believer who's outspoken about what they believe the Bible says, they're, they're not going to be on HGTV or on the Disney Channel or on whatever else because that's not politically correct right now and they're getting silenced and they're getting removed and it's becoming scary like, well, Christians will just kind of you know, hold our mouths shut and, and maybe we can skate by and, and listen, I'm going to tell you the best thing for us to do is to continue to speak clearly the truth of God, let the Holy Spirit do his work and the culture is going to do what it's going to do. 
okay? The spirit of conviction, in some ways, let me say it this way, the Holy Spirit, I don't want to say needs ammunition, but he certainly does like to have ammunition. The ammunition of the Holy Spirit is the Word of God. So we have to continue to speak the Word of God, to proclaim the Word of God, to adhere and live by the Word of God, okay? Can I get an amen, or is that like... All right. Um, so here's the next thing. I'm not going to get into great detail of this. I'm just going to... Because it may sound confusing. He's a spirit that convicts of sin. That seems obvious, but he also convicts of righteousness and of judgment. Finds fault with righteousness and judgment. Does that sound strange to you? Like, what do you mean he finds fault with righteousness? Why does he find fault with righteousness? Because there's only one righteousness that counts for anything. It's in Christ, right? So if you try to earn righteousness or, or prove righteousness some other way, the Holy Spirit says, that's not real. It doesn't work. That's not, how, that's not how it really is. And so he finds fault with every save the planet agenda, okay, and climate change protocol and, and social, you know, justice issue that people are trying to, and I'm not saying those things are all necessarily inherently bad, but what it is for a lot of people is a way to, to prove righteousness. If I could just, you know, save the planet or if I could just, you know, prove that, you know, we could all get along somehow with world peace. And it, what's happening is that people are trying to avoid the need for Jesus and find salvation in something else. And the Holy Spirit says, no, that's not how it works. You are positionally righteous when you claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the only righteousness that God looks at and says, you are my son, you are my daughter. And then from that position, then you can begin to do some good works in the earth that actually means something. Apart from that, there is no good work that will save you. Isaiah said it this way, all our good deeds are as filthy rags before God. All right, so... Righteousness and then judgment. And here's what he says about judgment. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Who's the ruler of this world? Okay. Some of you were afraid to say this because it sounds so blasphemous. But the ruler of the world, according to Scripture, is Satan. And here's why that is. He's not the rightful owner of the world. Who's the rightful owner? God is. Who's sovereign over his creation? God is. Uh, who's, who is going to get this creation to his ultimate conclusion? God is. But currently, the one ruling the world is Satan in this sense, not as a legal rightful owner, but as a majority and popular dis deciding factor. People have decided to follow him in the majority. Would you agree? Look around. I mean, are the majority of people following Christ or are the majority of people following after sin and selfishness and evil and whatever their own desires are? Okay, so what's happening is that the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world concerning judgment because in this popular following after Satan's agenda, people cannot make correct decisions. They can't make right judgments. Every decision that they make that they think is going to solve the, the human condition is not going to work. You can't get to a correct solution through a political agenda. 
you're not going to solve the human condition by government. Okay? You're not going to do it through economy. You're not going to do it through um, the internet. You're not going to do it through technology. You're not going to do it through any of those means that the world is chasing after. I, I watched this documentary on uh, Elon Musk. Anybody know who Elon Musk is? Does anybody not know who Elon Musk is? And I like Elon Musk. That's why I watched the documentary. I thought, he's kind of an interesting guy, and he's doing some good things. I don't want to derail this whole thing, but I... <laughs> but Elon Musk has this perspective, and in some ways he's a, he's a little bit of an insane genius, but he has this perspective that he wants to solve the human problem by... Um, sending people to live on Mars. And that's, I mean, that's fine. You want to go live on Mars, and I think he probably, he personally maybe wants to live on Mars. And and sometimes I feel like that'd be a good idea, (laughs) you know, go live on Mars. But um, you're not going to solve the human problem by simply populating another planet. He has this other perspective, this other idea that... um, And this is, it sounds insane. I mean, just to even say it sounds insane. That basically, has anybody seen the movie Matrix? The Matrix? Three people have seen the Matrix? Okay, I thought it was a little more popular than that. Anyway, the whole idea of the Matrix is that machines have taken over the world and human beings are living in a, a fictional construct, okay? They're plugged into this whole thing and they're basically batteries for the machines and they're not living a real life. Elon Musk believes that this is a possibility for what's going on. We're living in a simulation of some higher intelligence, you know, creation. Now, that sounds insane, but actually when you say it, um, you know, like that, you're, you're almost like this close to the truth, which is that there is a higher power, a higher intelligence, right? And there is uh, something going on that we can't see, we can't detect with science with scientific methods. It's a spiritual realm. There's something beyond this life that we can't quite grab a hold of or understand or see that we can only see if God reveals it to you. He's this close to understanding the truth, but he's gone off in this other direction to try to figure it out. Like, we're just the playthings of some alien. When in reality, we are the beloved creation of a God who made us in his image and who does want us to have a right relationship with him and we're blinded by the lies and the deceit of the enemy. So he's going to convict the world in concerning judgment because outside of God's truth, people are going to create all kinds of ideas and fantasies and, and issues that try to solve or, or explain what we're really dealing with. And the Holy Spirit says, here's the truth. Here's the truth. Here's where you were going to find your answers. And so the next thing is that he is the guide into all truth. He's the spirit of truth. And here's how this works. Um, the Holy Spirit guided the writers of Scripture, okay, all the prophets, all the apostles, all the people who were inspired to write what, what they had experienced with God and what God had told them and all those things. So we have... The, the word of God, and then the Holy Spirit takes that word into the life of a believer, and the initial thing that you have is that you, you recognize the truth 
of the reality of who God is. You recognize that there must be a God, and that, that if there is a God, then he must be perfect and holy, and that if there is a God who made me in his image, then he gave me the ability to choose. I have the, the inherent um, moral agency to say yes or no to him, and that there are rules about how we relate because he's perfect and he's the, the rule maker or the lawmaker. And then he says, well, here's my standard. It's my son, Jesus. You say, I fall on one side or the other of that. All these things are revealed and you, you come to this place of, of accepting or rejecting that. And then when, what happens is when you come to this place because the Spirit has convicted you uh, that you're not right with the Lord and you say, I need to be right with the Lord, it only happens through faith in Christ. Then you have the Word of God that gives you understanding into all the other areas of life. This is why we don't preach from some other book than the Bible. This is why no church worth going to is going to preach from anything but the Bible. You understand that? I mean, and I know that you probably hear that and you're like, well, of course, every, you know, if you're a church, you preach from the Bible. You know that there are a lot of churches that do not open this book. They don't teach from this book. They don't explain this book. They don't read this book in their worship services. I was at a very large, and I would say even what we would see is an evangelical church about 10 years ago. I, I was visiting a church in California. I was there just kind of seeing some different churches, what they were doing. I went to, I guess I'll just say it because I don't know if they're not going to come after me. I doubt it. Um, maybe they will. I don't know. But Saddleback Community Church. It's Rick Warren's church, okay? He wrote Purpose Driven Life, and everybody loves Purpose Driven Life, and became a multi, multi million, you know, bestseller, uh, all that. I went to that church on a Sunday, and, you know, I'm expecting, you know, pretty, pretty amazing service, you know, and, and basically, while I'm there, this was a long time ago, but their teaching on Sunday morning, their, their book, their manual was not the Bible, their book was a book uh, called, um, If You Only Had 30 Days to Live. And it was chapter by chapter. This week is chapter four, and, you know, we're going to go into chapter... And they had scriptures kind of interlaced into the message. I'm not saying they didn't use scripture, but the main teaching, the manual, the series was this other book. And I, I mean, I walked away feeling like I, I did not go to church that day. And maybe that was just a one-time thing, and they've never done it since or, or whatever. I don't know. But the reality is that there are a lot of places where you could go that they're not going to teach the Bible. The Holy Spirit, and I, like I said, I don't know that he needs ammunition, but he certainly does like to have it. But he's the spirit of truth, and what he does is he takes the truth of God's word, and he uses God's word to transform your heart. That's primarily how he works, to get the word of God, the truth of God, into your mind, and to let that simmer, to let it kind of have its way of, of change. It, it, it's a catalyst that changes how you think, how you understand, and then he brings out of that change a changed life. Amen? He's the spirit of truth, and then he's also the spirit that glorifies Jesus. It says in verse 14, he will glorify me. He'll take what is mine and declare it to you. And so here's the reason why 
oftentimes we don't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit in his personality, okay, his job is to glorify Jesus. That's, that's what he does. That's his main goal in his ministry is to get you thinking about Jesus, to get you in love with Jesus, to get you to glorify Jesus. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, right, I will draw all men unto me. When people talk about the Holy Spirit too much, and which is kind of a weird thing to say, but, but when the worship is focused on the Holy Spirit, when the teaching is all focused on the Holy Spirit, when everything is kind of all-consuming and it's all about the Holy Spirit all the time, then you can almost, almost guarantee that there's something wrong in that congregation because the Holy Spirit generally will not do that. He will not bring a lot of attention to himself. He, that's not what he's all about. What he's all about is bringing our attention back to Jesus. And so you understand the role of the Holy Spirit. You know that he's working. You appreciate the Holy Spirit. You talk about he is uh, the Trinity. He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But he's not going to make it all about him all the time. He's going to make it all about Jesus. Amen? All right. Next, we've got to turn over to Romans for the changed life. He is the spirit of conviction. He's the spirit of truth. He's the spirit of glory, glorifying Jesus. He's the spirit of life. Uh, Romans 8, starting in verse 9, says this, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So, if you're a believer, and this is just a statement I need you to grasp and accept and understand, okay? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's a fact. Now, your experience of the amount of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, or the, the power or the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, that that ebbs and flows. It comes and goes. It's, it's sometimes you feel it really powerfully. Sometimes you feel it a little less powerfully. Sometimes it's overwhelming. Sometimes it's not that very overwhelming. Okay, but the reality is, if you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. You need to depend on that. Because at this point, what you have to realize is that you are a new creation in Christ. That, that's who you are. You are different. The Holy Spirit has mysteriously come into your soul and mixed in such a way that he cannot be separated out anymore, ever again. He's the, the deposit guaranteeing your eternal life, okay? So if that's the reality, then here's something that can happen in your life is that you can actually ask for the Holy Spirit to expand. Like, would you, would you fill me? I, I'm telling you, I ask this every week. Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, help me guide me, direct my words, fill the congregation, give people the ears to hear, give me the words to say. Uh, I'm always asking for the Holy Spirit to increase. And the Bible says that's okay you, for you to ask. Jesus said you can ask, seek, and knock, and you will certainly get what you ask, seek, and knock, right? And then he says, what will you get? God will give you the Holy Spirit. He will increase, okay? And so he is your life. He says, but if 
Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Here's what should happen. Because the Holy Spirit is in you, you should live a different life. Your life should look different. Would you agree? If I'm a new creation in Christ, I need to walk differently than I used to walk. If I'm still exactly the same as I was when I was 18 and, and living in the world and doing all the things that the world was doing, if I'm still the exact same, you know, however many decades it has been since then, I can't even do the math at this point. Okay. I mean, number one, that'd be really depressing. But number two, it would show evidence that I'm not really a Christian. Let that sink in for a minute. You're doing exactly the same things, saying the same things, have the same habits, have not changed one bit from 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when you said you accepted Christ and your life looks exactly the same. Well, let me prove it to you. Galatians 5, verse 16 says, But I say, walk in the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, keep this in mind, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. It's not even that you, all of a sudden I changed and now I don't want to do those bad things anymore. The Holy Spirit's work in my life is that as I relate to God more and more, He shows me that the things that I want that are wrong and sinful are actually keeping me from a right relationship with God. I still want to do those things. Anybody ever been tempted? Nobody? Just Joe? Okay. So, for the rest of us, though, I mean, the issue here is that you have, we, all, we all have temptations. We all have things that we struggle with, that we want, that, you know, our flesh desires, that the Holy Spirit, because he takes the truth of God and he's changing our life, he says, that's not going to go well for you. Let me tell you um, a little secret about our world right now. And I'm, I keep saying things that I know are going to get me in trouble. But the LGBTQ plus agenda has a philosophy. And it's, a, it's not new, okay? This has been around for a long time, but it's just kind of getting so much traction in our culture right now that Christians are afraid to say anything about it. And the, the idea, and it's, it's evil, it's satanic, but the idea is if God made you this way, then that's the way you're supposed to be. And whatever you want to do, you ought to be free to do without guilt. Have you ever heard that before? Have you heard it in the church? Christian people kind of reiterating that kind of mentality? Well, God doesn't make mistakes. How many of us can agree God does not make mistakes? Okay, I agree. We, God doesn't make mistakes. Does that mean that anything that you want to do must be okay in God's eyes? Because the Bible that I read says that we're all sinners, that the things that I want to do are actually wrong, and I need redemption, and I need forgiveness, and I need salvation. 
So the argument that, well, God doesn't make mistakes, and if he made me this way, this way I'm supposed to be, doesn't fly in Scripture. What it says is that the things that I want that are opposed to what God has clearly revealed in his word are the things that I have to get square with him. And I have to reject those things in me. I mean, every one of us has desires that are ungodly. And it, maybe it's not the homosexual agenda. Maybe it's something else. But it, I, I have things that are wrong. I can't just do anything that my flesh wants to do just because, well, God doesn't make mistakes. He must have made me this way. I mean, just imagine if the world were to actually live that way. I mean, you'd have pretty much what we have. <laughs> what, what God is revealing in his word and what he's uh, giving us the ability to do through his spirit is to change, is to be different, is to be more like him and less like that old sinner that I used to be. And so the fruit of the spirit, and I won't go through this whole thing, but he says if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law, but then he says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality. Just look at this list. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I mean, just go on. I mean, this is not an exhaustive list, would you agree? Like, this is just the highlights, okay? Things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, that's interesting. Didn't you just say we're not um, saved by following the law? But then you said that if I do these things, I'm not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Why? It's because the, the Spirit in you changes you, makes you more in, li in line with God, which means that I can't continue to do the old things I used to do without feeling guilt. And that Holy Spirit guilt should cause me to seek repentance. So if I can continue to do those things without ever feeling bad about them, I'm not saying those things are condemning you. They're not. They're just evidence that you have not received Jesus into your life. You're not different. And if, and here's the, where the rubber hits the road for some of you. Some of you feel like I'm attacking you right now, and I'm not. I am simply revealing something to you about yourself. If you don't ever feel guilty about the wrong things that you do, that's not condemnation, what it is, is an invitation to receive Jesus into your life. Because by maybe nobody's fault, maybe not even your own, maybe it's just a misunderstanding, but somehow you got to this place in your life without ever really bowing the knee to Jesus Christ. You didn't know it, and now you know that this is the tipping point. If I never feel guilty about the wrong things that I've done and said, and never have any moment in my life where those things are actually coming out and saying, man, I'm separated from God, this is the moment. Just all you have to do is say yes to Jesus today. And he will save you, and he will give you his Holy Spirit. And then from this moment on, as the Holy Spirit reveals wrong things in your life, you have a, a way every day to just Lay those things out. Say, God, I'm sorry for that. God, I'm sorry for that. And what happens over time, this is where the fruit of the Spirit grows in your life, is that as you do that consistently over time, you grow into maturity, and you actually start to look more like Jesus. And you'll never get to the end of that process before you die. Amen? You'll never get to the end of it. But we ought to be included and in participating in it 
actively and intentionally every single day because that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And Father, we thank you. God, we love you and we praise you. We need you. And I'm praying today, right now, for those who, who need Jesus, who are sensing maybe for the first time, maybe again, I don't know, but they're sensing that the guilt that they have heard about, they've never felt, and it alarms them. Lord, I pray that anybody today who is cut to the heart and concerned about their position before you right now, that they would just say yes to Jesus. Ask you to come into their life, make them a temple of the Holy Spirit, and change their mind permanently. Give them a new hope. Give them the new future. Give them the assurance of eternal life, God. I pray for that. Lord, I pray for your, your people. Lord, we can cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. We can grow into the fruit of the Spirit. We can allow for you to have more and more access to our hearts and minds and see more and more of the things of, of your word, your truth, your love, your grace grow and increase in our lives, Lord. It's, we don't have to sit by and hope that it happens. We can participate in that. Lord, help us to grow to walk with you, to walk closely with you, and to let you do your work. And Father, through all of this, we're praying, Lord, that we would be um, a light, a light to our culture, a light to our community, a light to our homes, our workplaces, our schools, wherever we go, whatever we do. God, that you would use us to be the aroma of Christ. Lord, I pray that that would be something that would draw just through the invitation of, of the, the love of Jesus, draw people to you. For some people, it's going to be offensive. We can't help that. But we should not be afraid of it. Lord, help us to have boldness and courage to live a life that is worthy of the calling that you've placed on us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm inviting you this morning um, to just respond to the Holy Spirit. It's not my invitation. It's not your best thoughts. It's just if the Holy Spirit is calling you to bow the knee before Jesus this morning, that's his job. Amen? That's his job. And our job is to respond to him. So if he's calling you, we'd love to celebrate that, that new decision. But let's stand and sing as we do.